Hello, it's 14th of May 2017 and this is episode 29 of Scavengers Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis and commentary with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. So Kirsty, how has your week in Star Wars been? It's been good. It's been pretty light on the Star Wars, honestly. Um, Same. As we'll see in the show, there hasn't been an awful lot of news. Um, But I guess the big thing was that I went to see Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and they showed the Last Jedi trailer beforehand, Mm. um, which was really cool to see on the big screen. Yeah, nice. What was the audience response like? It was pretty muted, actually. Mm. Um, I was kind of surprised because you get into your Star Wars fandom bubble and I was like grabbing my husband's hand like oh my god it's so exciting to see this because <laughs> um, obviously I am really excited but everyone else was like meh yeah like I don't know I don't even though I love the teaser I also understand why it might not excite other people yeah who are not super into it I guess it doesn't have those like slam bang moments does it that you get in other trailers like the four Ragnarok trailer is so like like eye popping and stuff you know there's so much going on yeah they showed that one as well and you could really see the difference in the reactions like everyone was whooping and cheering for that one mm. and laughing along with the jokes whereas i mean there aren't any jokes in the last jedi <laughs> it's a teaser right so yeah. it doesn't really give anything away but um it's just kind of somber yeah. right i guess it's just a bit of a bummer isn't it it's not like there's a chewy we're home moment in the last jedi trailer yeah like, like there's no like great moment of triumph for people to celebrate and clap at so yeah i think they're gonna have to work on that for the next trailer they're gonna have to think okay we know people love star wars but we still need to give them a bit more to get excited about yeah it's hard because it's the second movie in a trilogy so it does have to have those low notes but um to get people infused about the movie and excited they're gonna have to show something exciting and you you can't just rely on the millennium falcon again (laughs) yeah um, which I know they did a, a huge part in The Force Awakens and for the marketing as well. But it's like that nostalgia aspect has kind of rubbed off now. You need to present something new. Yeah, they need to learn um, new tricks. <laughs> yeah, so I guess we'll see with the next one whenever that comes. How about you? Uh, yeah, no, very quiet Star Wars week. I was just dealing with like real life stuff, to be honest. So much more boring, unfortunately, than Star Wars things. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and... I guess the main thing of note to mention in terms of Star Wars today is that it's George Lucas's birthday. Mm-hmm. So a very happy birthday to George. Thank you so, so much for creating this marvellous thing that we're all very obsessed with. Thank the maker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never were more appropriate words ever said. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and I guess if you haven't already, please do rate and review us on iTunes. We really appreciate that. Um, it helps us out greatly. Um, yeah, and if you have any questions for the podcast, please do email them to scavengershorde at gmail.com. Uh, later in the show, we actually have a very special spotlight discussion with Charlotte and Caitlin from Sky Talkers, and we talk all about the prequels, so you have that to look forward to later on. Um, but yeah, for now, we are actually going to go straight into It Came From Reddit, because there literally just isn't any non-spoiler news that we can talk about. <laughs> Like, we weren't lying, basically, when we said it was, like, a slow news week. There's just been hardly anything. Like, seriously, we need that Vanity Fair spread. <laughs> like, we need something. That has to be, like, subjection of news. <laughs> um, but, yeah, to move on, in the It Came From Reddit segment, um, we have an interest in theory to touch upon. And this is by a poster called Leia Skywalker. And it's actually a really interesting idea, in my opinion, it's it suggests how 
this sequel trilogy could actually work as part of like an overarching nine-part saga rather than just like a movie in its own right or just as a sequel to The Force Awakens. And it's just really cool. It might be completely off base because as the poster says, it's just speculation, it's just a theory. But I felt it was interesting and worth bringing up because I believe in recognising and celebrating like reasonable ideas. (laughs) So not like Snoke is Mace Windu or something. Could happen. It could happen. Anything could happen in Star Wars. That's what keeps people excited. So (laughs) So certainly shouldn't poo-poo people's ideas. Um, Right. So yeah, there's just a bullet pointed list here. And it goes like this. I guess Luke and Ben slash Kylo are dealing with the real meaning of the the Chosen One prophecy as much as we do. I believe that Ben became Kylo because, deceived by Snoke, he came to the conclusion that balance meant no more Jedi and Sith, as many of us have done. Therefore, he killed the rest of Luke's students, believing they had... They, this had to be done to fully accomplish his granddad's task. But since Luke is still alive, Kylo still has to kill his uncle to finish what you started. That would explain why people at Lucasfilm have pointed out so many times that Kylo and Snoke are not Sith Lords. Why for Kylo to find and kill Luke is personal. Why Snoke just wants the last Jedi out of his sight. Why Kylo wants Luke dead because he believes it is his personal duty to fulfil, accomplish Anakin's destiny. As said, this could be the way Ben Kylo's dealing with Vader's legacy. On the other hand, Luke may have thought for years that his father did accomplish the prophecy by killing Palpatine in Return of the Jedi. He thought that it was his duty from that moment on to raise a new generation of Jedi, as Yoda told him to do. But when Kylo turned and killed his students, perhaps Luke thought he had it wrong. That happened because the real meaning of the prophecy was that the Jedi too had to end they didn't therefore the temple massacre was inevitable that had to happen because the jedi had to end in one way or another in other words perhaps it's only then that luke came to the same conclusion as ben kylo even though it sorrows him if so it makes perfect sense or even more sense what han said luke feels guilty because if luke had understood this truth before then he wouldn't have trained other people and they would still be alive And maybe his nephew wouldn't have turned because there would be no cosmic need to fully accomplish Anakin's task as the Chosen One prophecy required. Enter Rey. She's the ray of light that has to help Luke see things differently to restore his Jedi sight. That's the refined Jedi sight of the Journal of the Wills. The grey is what must be resolved. The problem, the difference, light, dark, made right. The true and deeper meaning of the Chosen One prophecy. Um, so yeah, there's lots of ideas in there. Um, what did you make of this, Kirsty? I think it's really interesting because it is, as the poster says, kind of the debate that's going on in fandom right now. That, like, what is the balance? What does that mean? Because people have conflicting ideas, and obviously the teaser th- threw up like this idea of having the light, the dark, and the balance. So it's something that fans were talking about um, because obviously in the original trilogy and the in the prequels, you have this emphasis on Anakin being the chosen one and then the balance being restored, supposedly, when Anakin sacrifices himself, kills Palpatine, and then dies. Like, that's the idea of end- ending the Sith and restoring balance because there are no more Jedi, but then Luke becomes a Jedi. So it kind of arguably throws it off again. Mm. Um, but I-, I think it's really interesting because the theory, like, just say that it's true and this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It does kind of line up with everything we've seen, right? Yeah. We have this idea that 
Kylo feels the pulse of the light, but is staying on the dark side because he feels he has this mission that he has to accomplish. Mm. Um, and he's not just being evil for the sake of it. He feels that he genuinely has to finish what Vader started. And yeah. if, if that means to restore the balance, he needs to kill Luke Skywalker, even though he doesn't necessarily want to because he's his uncle, but the balance is bigger. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just really interesting. Mm. It is. I think it's a really cool theory and it's very impressive. Um, yeah, so it would make a lot of sense of Kylo's actions because they've said many times in interviews that he's absolutely convinced that he's doing something that's right and just and necessary. And I think this would fit into that picture because it is something so much more than like the personal in this case. Like it's actually a question of overcoming like personal attachments and the love for your family in order to do what you sincerely believe is right for the galaxy and like the greater scheme of things. Um, and yeah, that just lines in lines up well with my personal understanding of what's going on with Kylo's character because mm. he definitely doesn't. He he seems pained by what he's doing. Basically, he doesn't seem to get any enjoyment or pleasure from it. He's clearly doing these things because he feels there's no other choice, that this is the only way. And it's like when he tells Han, it's too late. I get the sense that he's gone too far with this path, with this way of resolving things. That He doesn't feel like there's another direction for him at this point. Like he has to finish what he started because he's already gone so far. Um, yeah, like I think just the sheer magnitude of the things he's done, like killing the other students, killing his father like doing all this awful stuff for the first order he has to have a very very good reason for doing that and this could be it yeah and it, it's so interesting i always come back to the the scene with han and kylo talking on the bridge because you really do have this feeling that kylo is being tempted to go home and abandon his mission yeah and it, it's so interesting because it's like the inverse of everything that we've previously understood about the temptation of the dark side yeah it's like this idea of being tempted back to the light which he innately feels but knows he has to resist because there's something more important that he has to do or what he understands is his mission and we were saying like when the trailer came out it's funny how now it looks like Luke and Kylo essentially want the same thing they yeah. both want the Jedi to end and mm. how how have they both got to that stage and the the story is going to have to answer that in some way so this is totally a possibility in my mind yeah I'm not I'm not completely sold on what it would mean for Ray to be in the middle of that. Um I know that they're going to have to navigate it somehow that Ray is being just kind of thrust into this conflict between the Skywalkers. Um but she has to have a meaningful impact. Yeah. And it, is she just going to kind of serve as this ray of light for Luke or is there going to be something bigger with who she is and what she means for the galaxy? Yeah. I guess it's just this fear. You don't want her to be like the Star equivalent of a manic pixie dream girl. Exactly. Yeah. Like she can't just be the muse for the Skywalker men. Like I'd be really disappointed if that's just kind of her purpose. As the protagonist, she has to affect change on her own. So. Yeah. And I think she can't just be like a tool in their journeys. She has to make decisions, I think, that change their journeys. Like it has to be coming from her rather than like them acting upon her. And like being inspired by her and responding to her, like it needs to be about what Ray does as much as anything else. Yeah, I mean, I've spoken before about like Ray's kind of our eyes into the understanding of what's going on. So 
right now she has this kind of rudimentary understanding of the dark and the light because in The Force Awakens she really wasn't given much instruction besides Maz giving her a brief introduction to the light and you can feel it um, but when she's actually fighting with Kylo she seems to be dangerously close to the dark she gets very angry and vicious so now it's like she's sensing the balance but probably doesn't understand what it means because then Luke says it's so much bigger mm. so we're going to learn what that means at the same time as Rey um, so once she has the information and the audience has the information what's what's that going to mean for the story like where is she going to go yeah so it's very exciting exactly it's very cool times um, right and now we can move on to the non-spoiler questions and the first question is from Betty Hello, Scavengers Horde. Love your podcast. I look forward to it every week. Thank you. Just wanted to share my two cents on this issue about Luke. This story is still about Ben, and Ben is the driving character. Um, And just to make it clear, I've cut this question down, so it was originally very long, and obviously we like to keep things succinct. They both have sin. Luke is the one that killed the kids, not Ben. At least this is what I'm speculating. Snoke needs the kids to live. Please go and read Chapter 18 in Aftermath Book 1. Luke was left with the two choices of letting Snoke feed or kill the, killing the kids. I think you will see a scene of Ben walking among the dead bodies, which will be of Ben returning and in shock. Killing the kids almost destroyed Luke, and he left to finish learning what he needed to know about the Force, and ended up on the island, basically, probably healing. And now a girl has shown up on his doorstep and has disturbed his peace. Ren follows her, and she is the key to reuniting the two Skywalker men. Look to the black kyber crystal as why they could be drained and also why Ray's parents died. They were killed for it. However, Ray would have met a more horrible death had not someone put her on Jakku. So yeah, this is Betty's theory. What do you think about it, Kirsty? I I've heard this idea about Luke killing the the students before. Mm. Um I I just can't think that they would go there. No, nor do I. I don't think that they can make Luke Skywalker a secret villain so that, that Ben Solo can be good all along. Mm. Um, I, I don't think it's going to be that, yes, Ben Solo is just pure evil and has to die. Like, obviously, I'm very much on the Kylo Redemption train. Um, and I think, like I was saying before, I feel like he has this sense of um, obligation to some kind of mission and we'll figure out what that is. But I... I don't think that Luke's going to turn out to be to blame for everything that happened. Like, I, I know Han says he felt guilty, and I think there's going to be something to that, but um, he can't have killed his own students. Like, that's just too much. Yeah, exactly. I, I really don't think they'd go this far with it. And I think it kind of diminishes Kylo's character if you go down this route, because it almost makes everything too easy for him. Because then he just becomes so innocent that, well, what's there to redeem him from? You know, because, like, in this scenario, he's not guilty for anything that happened, like, at the temple. Like, it's all on Luke, pretty much. And in a way that makes Kylo slash Ben quite a passive character. And I don't think passive characters are the most interesting characters. I think it just makes for a better story. Um, If we actually see, like, Kylo acting and, like, making a decision that requires him to do horrible things... Like, but believe he has really good reasons for doing those horrible things. It's like we discussed in the Reddit segment just now, like that kind of scenario where he believes it's 100% necessary to kill the students to restore balance. 
like that would be a good story because then you understand why he made that decision like it's still a terrible thing but you can understand that decision and then it creates like real conflict and real stakes yeah i feel like that's what's in character for kylo as well because like the writers jj abrams and adam have all talked about how kylo doesn't he doesn't consider himself a villain he thinks he's on the right side so it's not just a case of him being framed for something yeah. It's that he's done terrible things, but he genuinely thinks that he's doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, which still means that there's a possibility for change and redemption, but um, there's there just has to be a story here. Like, there has to be the actual development. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think it's going to be as simple as what The Force Awakens led us to believe, that it was just Kylo decided to become a the equivalent of, like, a school shooter yeah um, I don't think it's that simple but um, I just can't see them doing that to Luke and also it makes it way too much of Luke's story like I I think Luke is going to be very important but um, he can't be responsible for everything because otherwise it's like well why are the other characters there exactly right the next question is from Tan hi girls love your podcast as always and I'm always eagerly awaiting new episodes I know there's a large part of the Raylo fandom that believes romance is inevitable, and although I hope I'm forcing myself to be cautiously optimistic, given the animosity that Kylo seems to garner when paired with Rey within the general Star Wars fandom, do you think it'd be somewhat unreasonable to have the romance between the two? Are we more likely to get an unrequited love scenario in which Kylo's compassion for Rey drives his selflessness and Rey ultimately sympathises with him but simply feels a platonic connection? I can see the story writers going down this path, but it somehow just doesn't feel powerful enough. It doesn't seem that compelling. Ben would find himself in a stagnant position, abandoned and rejected again, in a way. He would have made little progress in reaching out to someone after a long time. Yeah, what do you think, Kirsty? Okay, <laughs> I, I, this is a, you know, it's a fine question, but I just feel like it's really funny because this is kind of like the internal question that Raylo Shippers ask themselves all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and, they, and then like almost answer themselves like but that just wouldn't be satisfying yeah <laughs> it's like internal dialogue isn't it <laughs> yeah it's basically like sorry we have to wait for the story <laughs> because um like I know that it seems unlikely now like that's part of the stakes right um and it's totally possible that it could be unrequited in the end like just based on the force awakens Kylo has interest in Rey but she doesn't have the same pull back and that's totally understandable in terms of where the characters are at um she feels a level of curiosity towards him and she's like wait how did it get to this point with this character and um obviously the the next part of the story will progress there and she'll develop some kind of understanding but she's obviously under no obligation to feel romantic feelings for him it's just where the writers decide to take it um so if I had to guess, just based on the story that we have so far, um, I do think it's going to be unrequited till quite late in the game. Um, mm. Or at least Ray will like be in some level of denial with herself where she starts to feel understanding for him and compassion, but doesn't allow herself to return romantic feelings or express them. Because um, they, they do kind of have to get the, the audience on board um, in the same timeline if that makes sense mm. so that by the time ray would return it if that's where they're going the audience would have to be rooting for it yeah so they're gonna ha they have a lot of heavy lifting to do if that's what they're doing um so we just kind of have to wait and see 
Like, um, speaking personally, I am not at all opposed to unrequited love stories. I have a soft spot for them because I love the angst. Mm. Um, but I'm not sure that that's quite in keeping with Star Wars. So, because we haven't had an unrequited love story in Star Wars before. So, mm. it could be what they're going for, but uh, they'd have to execute it quite differently. Yeah. But we just have to wait and see. Like, I know everyone's dying to see the movie, but we also have to keep in mind that even when we have The Last Jedi, that's only the second part and there's still a lot more story to tell. Yeah. Um, I really so hope I... it answers some big questions. Like, oh my God, I can't bear. Oh, yeah. It will answer some for sure. Yeah. Um, but it will raise more questions as well. So the fandom just kind of has to prepare itself for that. Yeah. Um, and I know that some people who ship Raylo are expecting a kiss and everything in episode eight. I'm not. So uh, they they have to do a lot of work just to get them to become allies. Um, so that's kind of where I'm thinking things will be at by the end of episode eight, that Ray will have developed some understanding and maybe compassion for Kylo, but it's not, I don't think it's going to be <laughs> reciprocated romance at that point. Yeah, sure. Kirsty said everything very well. Um, I'm more optimistic than she is. I I think they'll probably ramp it up a bit faster than Kirsty believes will be the case. But Kirsty's probably right because she's much more cautious and it's generally best to be cautious about Well, it's things. just so hard to tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? like, um, like, obviously, I'm not like nailing my like prediction to a post or anything and saying this is my immutable belief in what will happen. Um, but yeah, like I agree it's best to be cautious because no, we know nothing. Um, but yeah the only thing I will say is I really wouldn't worry too much about what the general Star Wars fandom think about Raylo right now like yes there is a lot of hostility towards it in general fandom circles but if you had said to people in 1978 Darth Vader is going to be Luke's father people would have been absolutely horrified and completely disbelieved you no one would have accepted that and yeah, I think Raylo obviously is it wouldn't be a family connection, but it would be a shocking connection between two characters that no one had anticipated. And I think we'd see like a similar like tidal shift in people's perceptions of it based on the events of the next movie. So yeah, like it's the film's job to force people to rethink everything they previously thought they knew and to see the story again with fresh eyes. And yeah, so we can only see if that happens after we've actually had The Last Jedi. It's funny because I don't think that Raylo in itself is shocking because I think it's quite obvious from The Force Awakens that Kylo Ren has an interest in Rey. Like, yeah. he becomes quite fixated on her. Um, and I think it's only really the prevailing theory that they were related that kind of got in the way of some people seeing that. But um, the big question for me is just how they would get Rey to reciprocate if that's where they're going. Yeah. So it, in my opinion, like one-sided Raylo is already a thing. It's just a case of developing that and what it would mean for Kylo's arc as a whole. Yeah. Um, but obviously quite a few people did see that, but I'd say the vast majority of people didn't. Yeah. It's true that that's mostly because people were blinded by the expectation that Ray was going to be related to Kylo. But yeah, for I also think it's a question of what people expect from this kind of story. And they don't expect the villain to get a love story. Or at least not when he's like all masked, creepy and stuff like Kylo's initially depicted to be. So yeah, I think it just turned expectations on its head and people didn't know what to make of it. It's just really funny that you describe me as cautious because like, look at the rest of the podcasting community. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> I mean, relative to me. 
we are just kind of like, yeah, this is what we saw in the film. We wanted to talk about it. So if we turn out to be wrong, we'll we'll survive. It's yeah. just the story. Um, I could do with a bit of egg on my face. It's fine. Yeah, you know, people shipped Luke and Leia for six years. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think we'll be okay. <laughs> They'll survive, whatever happens. Yeah, it, it just seemed overwhelmingly obvious to me that, that Kylo had like an interest in Rey. So it's just a case of, okay, well, what's that going to mean for both of these characters? Um, yeah. Doesn't necessarily mean marriage and babies, but it means something because the, there's no way that the director would decide to put that in there by mistake like it's, it means something yeah and it's it's only going to grow in terms of its implications so yeah no totally um right then the next question is from ross and he says i'm very pleased to hear that you will be covering the new season of twin peaks in anticipation i've been re-watching the last two seasons listening to the soundtrack as well as the zz music of twin peaks record highly recommended if you've not listened to it i've never heard of that so i'll have to try and check it out Will you be launching the podcast to coincide with the first episode airing? I can't wait. I'm loving Scavenger's Horde and I'm excited for all the Last Jedi news and discussions coming our way. Congratulations for winning Best New Podcast too. Oh, this is a very nice message. Thank you. Um, yeah, to get to the main question, um, we're not going to be doing episodes straight after episodes air because the plan is probably going to be to record at the same time that we record this show. Mm. Um, because obviously it's hard to make our time zones get in sync and everything like that so we want to um, make sure that we can do them both at once and it can be sustainable so yeah there would be like a bit of a delay between the episode airing and our response to it coming out unfortunately but yeah we hope people are still interested (laughs) yeah and please don't expect like discussions that are as in-depth as our Star Wars ones because we're going to have to be a little bit constrained by time yeah so it will probably be just a quick recap and because it's going to be relatively close to us watching it it's not going to be like with the benefit of hindsight and time that we've been able to discuss Star Wars and The Force Awakens like you know we've dived into that quite deeply but um the Twin Peaks stuff will just be kind of like our thoughts on the episode so yeah where are you in your rewatch Kirsty have you got further than you were last week I just finished season one, so I, I know I'm really I'm really slow. <laughs> I've had so much other stuff going on. No, it's but, fine. Um, I'm going to try and race through season two this week. So. Yeah, I'm on the penultimate episode right now. Um, so yeah, Miss Twin Peaks, um, mm-hmm. including um, oh god, um, what's Eye Patch Woman? What's her name again? Nadine. Nadine. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, and seeing Nadine compete for Miss Twin Peaks is, I must say, quite hilarious. Oh, gosh, she's amazing. <laughs> she is amazing. And it's also the episode where she's like squeezing Mike's hand and she squeezes it oh, so my fierce, gosh, yeah. she screams in pain. Oh, um, and yeah, it's like, it's so unique to Twin Peaks. I love it. Um, but yeah, I'm so excited to watch the final episode. I'm probably going to watch that straight after we finish this. So yeah, awesome times. I was watching more of it last night and I was just laughing so much. Like, I'd forgotten how funny the show is. Yeah. Because it, it's really spooky and creepy and obviously it has its very sad moments. But also, a lot of the sad moments are pretty funny. And I, I can't always tell if it's intentional. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, it's got everything, the show. Like, if people haven't watched it, sorry if we're boring people because we keep talking about it. But please watch Twin Peaks if you haven't. It is, there's nothing like it. Yeah. It's really special. <laughs> Right, the next question is from Maylan. Hello again, ladies. I just want to say that I really enjoy your thoughts and speculations on where the story is headed. I literally agree with everything. As we get closer and closer to The Last Jedi, I just feel a sense of dread. I start doubting all the amazing evidence the Raylos and pro-redemptionists have put together. 
The biggest reason for that is Pablo Hidalgo, who seems determined to suggest that Kylo was born bad, that Snoke didn't really influence him as much as Leia thinks. And while he is conflicted, there is a price to pay for being on the dark side. I know he dislikes the character, but just the thought of the Skywalker line ending in tragedy and Leia losing her son to either death and continued darkness just seems too depressing. The fairy tale I want to see, and most people I know want to see, is the heroine succeeding and bringing this broken family back together. But maybe I'm hoping for too much. So I guess my question is, why would they put such mystery into a dark character's past? Why hide it if it ultimately didn't matter in the end? If Kylo was born bad, like Pablo is saying... Why do books like Empire's End elicit such sympathy for Ben Solo? Why give Kylo conflict? Why make him relatable? Why make him have compassion for Rey? Are they playing with us? Leia says there's still light in him, I know it. But then later Pablo tweets, just like a mum to say something like that. (laughs) It's all just kind of infuriates me. If Leia is wrong, if Han died for nothing, and Kylo was just going to stay dark, then he should have been written much differently. How do you guys feel about this? Um, I think most of those tweets from Pablo are actually really old now. And he I think they're also mostly f- for for laughs. Like, Pablo just has a sense of humour in his tweets. Yeah. And it might not be a sense of humour that lines up with the reader's sense of humour, but I just, like, don't take it too seriously. Yeah. I don't think people should, like, take Pablo's word as law. Like, I think he himself has, like, said, don't take my tweets too seriously, please. <laughs> So it's just his personal Twitter account. It's not like yeah. he's giving away the direction of the story or anything on there. Unless he's giving like a categorical answer on something, like um, confirming what's canon and what's not, or like, oh, this ship that you see is actually this, or did you see a lightsaber in this scene? Mm. Um, just kind of err on the side of assuming that he's shitposting, basically. Yeah. Like, I love Pablo. I think he's really funny, but um, he doesn't value the same things in the story necessarily that the various audience members are going to because everyone likes Star Wars for different reasons um, and he's said quite clearly before that his favourite kind of villains are people like Palpatine and Jabba who love being villains and relish in being evil Yeah, um, and that's not at all what Kylo is and he's actually referred to him as like a tortured anti-hero which mm-hmm. is good for people who think that Kylo's going to be redeemed Yeah, like, and that's what we're seeing now we're seeing that shift from like masked evil Kylo in the TFA marketing to tortured anti-hero of the TLJ marketing, right? So yeah. just kind of, I know it's hard because people get really invested in the story, but just kind of re- relax. <laughs> like yeah. everything, if you know, everything's kind of lining up for people who think that Kylo is going to be redeemed. Um, mm-hmm. And it's evident in The Force Awakens that that's, that's likely going to be the path. Yeah. Um, so just kind of wait like i i just wish the movie was coming out already because i feel like fandom is really kind of feeling this fatigue yeah and just wants the story now like everyone has uh, just analyzed everything to death yeah <laughs> and um really has their their set head cannons and ideas for what things going to be and um just don't worry too much about what pablo says because a lot of the stuff that he said um about kylo's childhood as well kind of stems from him being protective of Han and Leia. Yeah. Which is understandable because people were kind of thinking early on, well, maybe he didn't have the best childhood and maybe he was kind of neglected because they were both busy with their careers. And I'm sure that's not what Lucasfilm want people to think of Han and Leia. Yeah. So if anyone abused Ben as a child, it's Snoke. Yeah. And um, we've gotten things in Aftermath that could hint at that. 
but it's they're not going to confirm that that's what it is because it's still a mysterious part of the story for now. Yeah. So that kind of thing is only going to be confirmed in the movies. And it's actually possible that they might not even touch upon that stuff with the movies because they can't address every single thing. Yeah. So we just have to be patient, basically. Exactly. Wait and see. Um, right. Then we have a final question from an anonymous listener. Hi. Always enjoy your podcast. I have a question. Many fans predict that Kylo will get to know the location of Act 2 through his force bond with Rey. But if that is the case, why couldn't he find out Luke through his bond with Luke? He, being Luke's apprentice, didn't develop it between Luke in the past? Uh, yeah, I guess my view on this is that I don't think like force bonds are like automatic. I think they're things that can develop between Masters and Apprentice, but they don't necessarily develop. Because, like, I guess like, if... Anakin and Obi-Wan, like they were Master and Apprentice, but if they had a Force Bond then surely Obi-Wan would have known all about Padme for example. Yeah, they didn't have a Force Bond. Exactly, yeah, so I think that's the answer basically. You don't by default have a Force Bond by being Master and Apprentice. So that's why Kylo doesn't know Luke's location anyway. Yeah, like you can have a Force Bond form if you have two people kind of going into each other's heads and not really knowing what they're doing, which is kind of what happens in the interrogation scene. So if that's what they're going with, and I, I have a, like they if they do have some kind of force connection, I don't think they're going to call it a force bond in the movies. Yeah. Um, and you kind of get that sense of when Kylo kills Han Solo, and then feels that regret. You see it cut to Leia, and she's sensing his feeling, right? Because she's connected to her son some way. I don't think they would confirm that it's like a force bond. It's just that she can sense him because they're close family members and she senses that anguish. Yeah. This kind of thing is always like they're going to have not necessarily plot holes, but plot conveniences because the force can be kind of used to do whatever the writers want. Mm. Um, So a lot of it doesn't really make sense. Like, oh, Kylo was walking across the bridge. Did he sense Han when he was right there? Like he could have done because... He senses when Han arrives on the planet and he's further away from him, but then doesn't when he's standing right there and walks off. So yeah. it's it's kind of just whatever they want it to be at the time. Yeah, exactly. Um, right, and now it's time for a special spotlight section with Charlotte and Caitlin from Skytalkers podcast. And we have a nice meaty discussion about the prequels. Um, so yeah, we hope you enjoy. Right, and for today's spotlight, we actually have two very special guests in Caitlin and Charlotte from the Sky Talkers podcast, which is really, really exciting. Um, so yeah, guys, do you want to introduce yourselves quickly? Yeah. Um, hi, I'm Charlotte, and I'm one of the co-hosts. Hi, everyone. I'm Caitlin, and I'm the other co-host. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for coming on, guys. We really appreciate your sparing your time for this. It's really awesome, and we're actually really excited to talk about the prequels because it's something we haven't really touched upon that much before. So yeah, we're really keen to have that discussion and you guys seem like really great guests to have on for that because we know that like you're big on the prequels like which is <laughs> yeah. awesome so yeah I guess just in the first instance could you just tell us a bit about your history as a Star Wars fans and why you started a podcast together sure um so as a history as a Star Wars fan I was first introduced to the series when I was like eight or nine 
Um, and then I really got into it when I saw Revenge of the Sith in the theaters when I was about 11. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it was. I think I was going through puberty and like hormones <laughs> and I was like really into the drama of Revenge of the Sith, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I was like totally captivated and I became fully obsessed with Star Wars then and I haven't looked back since. Um, but Caitlin and I started the podcast because we've talked about Star Wars on each other's answering machines for like 10 years oh, and it was yep. like a, <laughs> and it was like about time that we started to put all of our Star Wars conversations and theories into one place that's like a great motive I think that's why Kirsty and I did a podcast as well because we just had so much to say about Star Wars that we <laughs> feared we were going to drive our nearest and dearest mad by just talking about it incessantly so yeah it's like, oh, time yeah. to start a podcast <laughs> <laughs> well about about two years ago I had a job where I had about an hour and a half commute um every day and I would just start recording these really lengthy voice memos on my phone about Star Wars and like rants about Star Wars and things I wanted to talk about um, because I knew Charlotte was busy and couldn't talk to me and so then I would just send them to her like in these mass like voice memos of like 15 minutes long of me just like going off about something random Um, (laughs) so we definitely needed to start a podcast But Charlotte was actually the one who introduced me to Star Wars. Um, We became friends when we were in middle school. So we were about 12 or 13. uh, And it was right after Revenge of the Sith came out. So Charlotte was in full Star Wars mode. And uh, we started watching them together. And we watched them um, in episodic order. And I had this moment that I remember specifically before we were about to start the original trilogy. And Charlotte's like standing in front of my TV in the basement. And she goes, listen. Just remember, like, these movies were from a long time ago, and it's, like, the 1970s, so, like, the technology is not there. She's like, just remember that. (laughs) And me, being, like, the new Star Wars fan that I am, I was like, well, if they look bad, like, why don't they just remake them? (laughs) And, like, you would have thought I, like, killed Charlotte or something. She was like, no. That's no. <laughs> um, needless to say, like they should not remake this as the original trilogy. <laughs> um, but it's like one of those moments that's just seared in my brain of like, how could I have ever imagined a world where they would remake the original trilogy? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's like true sacrilege, isn't it, for Star Wars? Yeah. The prospect of remaking yeah, but... those films. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like a Star Wars fan. <laughs> they added in those CGI parts, and some people hate that idea. So yeah, mm, yeah, very controversial. <laughs> well, those were the versions that I watched for the first time. So it was for a while I didn't even know that that was like I it didn't even I didn't even realize that those had been added in later. Um, it's kind of crazy where you jump in, like when you become a Star Wars fan, how you see these films. Yeah, totally. I think that is something that affects a lot of people's perceptions of the prequels, like their age as well, because we're in our 20s too. So um, yeah, I was in, uh, I was 10 years old when Phantom Menace came out. So I kind of grew up with the prequels as well. And Mm -hmm. I remember seeing Revenge of the Sith in cinemas as well. And that's, that's a strong memory for me. um, Because it's such a harrowing film in so many different ways, obviously. (laughs) but yeah, I think some older fans, and I'm thinking actually of my mother-in-law right now because it's Mother's Day maybe, but um, <laughs> she she has such a problem with the prequels still. Like, And I know that that's quite a common thing for some older fans. Um, it, they are divisive and controversial for people. It's, it's a very interesting discussion to have. Mm. 
Can you guys remember like conversations like about Star Wars, like in the playground generally? Was it like a popular discussion point or was it still more like of a niche thing at that stage? I guess the prequels were still very much in the public consciousness because like you say, Revenge of the Sith had just come out when you were getting into them. Um, but yeah, I was just wondering, was it like widespread talk about it or was it still seen as like a nerdy, like geeky side project thing? Well, it's really funny because I always try to think back about like the specific memories that I can tie to Star Wars or like conversations I had when I was younger about mm. like Star Wars or anything. And I remember when The Phantom Menace came out, I think I was like five or six and I actually had, I cried because the pod racing was too loud and oh. it freaked me out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I remember when that movie came out and it was like such a huge deal, you know, and like everyone was going. And I remember specifically actually sitting in like the first row because it was so crowded wow. of the theater. And, um, but we did play Star Wars on the playground and talk about it and, even when Revenge of the Sith came out, school was winding down and everyone was really talking about when they were going to go see Star Wars and if they'd seen it yet or anything like that. It was after that, though, that when I was like, I need a friend to talk Star Wars with and I like brought Caitlin into this, you know, this world yes. um, <laughs> that I, I don't know, I couldn't stop talking about it, I suppose. It was like all over my binders and, you know, mm. it was like really fully obsessed with talking about it. Yeah. It was it was mainly Hayden Christensen on her binders. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I see you. Yes. Yeah. I never had actually that experience because Star Wars was not on my radar at all as a kid. Um it's strange because I I knew like I knew that Vader was Luke's father and I knew that Luke and Leia were twins. Um but I never remember learning that. Um, so really, I I don't ever remember playing Star Wars in the playground or people talking about it because I just it just wasn't a part of my life um, as a kid. So becoming friends with Charlotte was really like I was like, oh, my God, like what what is going on in this world? Like <laughs> everyone is talking about this. Um, but I remember like in our eighth grade year, Charlotte, I feel like we were the only ones who talked about it. And I don't know yeah. if it was because I, like we didn't think anyone else would want to talk about it. But I just remember like you and I like sitting in the gym, like just talking about Star Wars and like no one else around us. <laughs> yeah. That captures the situation quite well. So I think these things, they are like cultural phenomenons, but that's only true for like a brief period, like surrounding the movie's release. So like mm -hmm. the few months leading up to it and like the few months afterwards. Um, and then just for most people, like it fades from their consciousness and they don't talk about it anymore. They don't think about it that much anymore. Um, and I think that's when you know you're hardcore of like after, eight months after the films come out, you're still obsessively <laughs> asking yourself questions and you've just got Star Wars, yeah. Star Wars, Star Wars going through the brain. That's mm -hmm. like when you know, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Very true, very true. <laughs> yeah, what I really love about your podcast is that you can tell that you've been friends for such a long time and it's really cool that you became friends like introducing each other to Star Wars and that you've, I don't know, you just get this impression when you're listening to the show that it's like, you can tell that you guys talk about Star Wars all the time together and it's become <laughs> a really big part of your friendship. Like, I, I think that's awesome. Yeah, th thank you. Um, yeah, that's it's funny because Caitlin and I have had a lot of like, individual Star Wars experiences together we've never had a place to talk about them or like blog about them and now we finally get to like unleash all these things you know <laughs> like our yes. first like Clone Wars experience in the theater and like we haven't there's so much oh, we haven't gosh. talked about yet <laughs> <laughs> it's funny 
Yeah. Yeah, so, like 10 years of all these built up conversations and it's like, let's release it to the world. <laughs> <laughs> so you have this big backlog of ideas that you need to get through. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Okay, so let's dive a bit more into the story of the prequels. I was wondering if you guys could tell us, like, do you have a favorite character and a favorite moment and that sort of thing? Well, I'll start. Um, My favorite character from the prequels is Obi-Wan and probably Ahsoka, if she counts. I don't know if Clone Wars counts in this discussion, Um, (laughs) but Obi-Wan, like, from the actual prequel films is probably my favorite. Um, I really... I really love his relationship with Anakin um, and with Padme and just like watching his journey through all three of the films. Um, I think there's so much of his story that we don't get to see, but you kind of feel the weight of everything that's happened to him um, throughout, especially at the end of Revenge of the Sith. Um, I really love the last couple minutes of Revenge of the Sith when you're just kind of going with Obi-Wan when he meets with Yoda and hears about Qui-Gon and then when he um, brings Luke to Tatooine. Um, the way that Ewan portrays it, you kind of know that more is coming. Um, and I think there's something quite ominous knowing that the next time we'll see Obi-Wan is 20 years down the line. Um, and it'll be when he, you know, faces off against Vader and becomes one with the Force. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I've always loved his character. Yeah, the Ahsoka stuff is interesting, actually, because I know you guys are huge fans of the Clone Wars. Do you kind of compartmentalize that in a way in your mind or do you think of it as an integral part of the prequels? Well, we have tried before to incorporate it in like a marathon session and it doesn't really work. Mm. So I think in our brains now we've kind of separated it from the prequels, but it's definitely a prequel era. Like you can't deny that. Mm. I don't know, Caitlin, what do you think? Uh, Well, to be fair, whenever we've done our marathons with the Clone Wars, (laughs) we've only done the Clone Wars movie, which is not the best example <laughs> of all the greatness that is the Clone Wars. Um, I think now, now that we're kind of more removed from when all of that was, when the Clone Wars is airing, um, it's easier to kind of integrate the things that happened to like Obi-Wan and Anakin in the Clone Wars and kind of look into that when you're watching the prequels. Um, I mean, I think the biggest thing for us that we've talked about is like watching Order 66 and Revenge of the Sith. Mm-hmm. And because you, you know all of those Jedi now through the Clone mm. Wars. Um, and we didn't before. Like, watching Plo Koon get shot down was, like, the saddest thing of my life mm-hmm. after we watched the Clone Wars. Because um, I was like, oh my God, like, he's best friends with Ahsoka. And, like, he brought Ahsoka into the Jedi Order, and now he's dead. Um, and I think, I, I mean, I consider Clone Wars really important to understanding the prequels. Um, I think it fills in a lot of gaps. Um, I think Ahsoka is a great foil to Anakin because Ahsoka's journey, her leaving the Jedi Order is kind of what you what you had hoped Anakin would do. Like in a best case scenario, that's what Anakin would have done too. Um, he would have done what Ahsoka did and just kind of seen the error of the Jedi's ways and then he would have parted ways with them. Um, but that's not what happened. Um, so I, I, think, I think you got to talk about cloners when you talk about the prequels. Mm. Yeah, I mean, a lot of fans might not have seen it that's the thing right because i know a lot of people who have say that it really enriches their understanding of anakin and everything that goes on but there's also this weird thing of like ahsoka that you know that they have this really critical master padawan relationship but that's entirely missing from the films i know it's it's a bummer because i think the clone wars had the advantage of expanding on what we 
want to see with Obi-Wan and Anakin's relationship and also introducing a new relationship with Ahsoka and Anakin. So therefore expanding on Anakin's character. Mm. So then when his fall to the dark side is more like interesting and um, there's a lot of weight there. Um, but when you don't see it, I, I think, I don't know. I think it's really, it's really good for fans to see. And I think that people should look into it, but I understand if they don't, because it's so long, there's a lot of stuff to get through and mm. it's out of order, <laughs> which is really confusing. <laughs> yeah. It's a little hard. <laughs> yeah. So I, I understand. It's mm. definitely and- worth it because I mean, I think when you, when you look at Anakin's trajectory through the through the prequel trilogy um, and really through the whole saga, I think it adds it adds more weight to it, like you said, Charlotte, because, I mean, you kind of get this opportunity with Ahsoka to see how Anakin might have been as a father, um, to see him, like, really bringing up a younger person and really caring about that person and going to the ends of the earth to protect and save this person. Um, and then it all falls apart on him at the end of the Clone Wars, at the end of season five. Um, and you kind of see you get a little glimpse of what he might have been like with Luke and Leia. Um, and you kind of realize that he'll never get that opportunity. Never did get that opportunity. Oh my gosh, you're breaking my heart. Star Wars is all tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I must say, I ha- must confess, I haven't seen the Clone Wars. And it's like a question of time for me, because like you said, there's so much of it to watch. And there's mm-hmm. also the question of, I know there's like an ideal view in order for it, but I have the Blu-ray box sets of series one to three. And as far as I'm aware, they're not in the right order. Yeah, in terms not. of how the episodes are structured and it's just like oh man so do I need to like laboriously look up some kind of list and cross-reference to make sure I see it in the right yeah I, I honestly don't think you do it's yeah. fine like you, right. you can you can watch it and then like go back and be like oh like this one is supposed to be here like that's where this is in the timeline you don't necessarily have to watch it in order I mean like it's interesting to do that but it's so hard <laughs> yeah yeah especially if you're not watching it all consecutively because sometimes like when we were watching it week to week you'd kind of forget what was going on in the bigger like the bigger picture of the war mm-hmm. um which I think is that's what the chronology is really used for so if you're not as concerned with that then I don't think it I don't think it really matters to watch it in the in the correct order Mm-hmm. Um, for me and for Charlotte too, I think we we always watch it for the Anakin and Obi Wan episodes and like the Anakin and Padme episodes and like Anakin and Ahsoka yeah. and the Ahsoka <laughs> episodes. That's like what we watch for. <laughs> Not so much the Jar Jar Binks and the droid episodes. No, actually, you yeah. know what? Those are kind of funny. So <laughs> there, and there's there merit are, in them. There are some <laughs> nice. really good droid episodes. Like there are some standouts. Like there's a droid called Goldie that is like a double agent. Wow. And it's, it's like a, it's a crazy episode. <laughs> that is a great droid name. <laughs> Goldie. Yeah. 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 That was, a, that's what Ahsoka called him was Goldie. <laughs> <laughs> that's really nice. Um, my right, I know that um, Obi-Wan was one of the favorite characters mentioned, but who is the other favorite character for you guys? My favorite character is Padme. Nice. Um, and if if you've ever like looked at my Twitter feed, like you know my favorite character is Padme. <laughs> um, um, I I know that like she's pretty controversial, and I feel like I'll defend her forever. But I, I'm not sure, and I'm not sure if I'm just like was always really 
um, felt like a kinship towards her because she was the only speaking role, in, female speaking role in Revenge of the Sith um, when I first saw that and I got really attached to it. Um, but I think that her character um, goes through so much and it's so weird because if you look back, like literally everything she says in Attack the Clones and Revenge of the Sith is true and she, um, I don't know, I love her. Same. <laughs> yeah. I think she has some of the most powerful moments in Revenge of the Sith, easily, like when she confronts Anakin on Mustafar. That is mm-hmm. some really like dramatically intense stuff. And if you saw it when, like, did you say you were 11 when you saw that? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I can totally understand that having like a massive impact because it's so like overflowing with like emotion and it's like melodrama at its finest. And like, yes. I, I mean that mm-hmm. in like a complimentary way. I love melodrama. I love it when mm-hmm. everything's like amped up to the max. And that is what's going on in that scene because it's like broken hearts, like on a volcano planet. <laughs> yes, and it there's something get quite any more special. Dramatic. Exactly, yeah. Like it wasn't going to happen in like a stage, like grey panelled room or something. No, <laughs> I'd have like spurting lava coming out from the background. It's great. <laughs> so, how do you guys feel about Anakin and Padme's relationship? How that's depicted? And you can talk about the Clone Wars as well, of course. Oh boy. Okay. So. <laughs> I'll let, Charlotte needs to take the lead on this. <laughs> this is like her life. <laughs> okay. So their relationship is destructive. It's cheesy. It's not the best writing. But it is my favorite ship. <laughs> and I don't know. Like, they're not right for each other. I think that they wouldn't have stayed together post Revenge of the Sith if Anakin hadn't turned to the dark side. Um, I think they have a lot of problems. And I don't think the films really set up why they were attracted to each other very well to begin with. But I think you can read into it and um, figure it out for yourself through like books and, you know, the Clone Wars and everything. And I really do think that the Clone Wars helps piece together some of the mass opinions about their relationship. Um, And I highly recommend the episode. I think it's called Crisis at Heart with uh, Rush Clovis really like points out a lot of deep issues with Anakin and Padme's <laughs> relationship right Caitlin yeah it does, it does. <laughs> um and it's it's really good um I think a lot of people had like like I mentioned before like they don't really understand why they were attracted to each other but I think the why they were attracted to each other is because they were both like emotionally stunted um Anakin was forced into the Jedi Order and Padme was like not forced but she was thrown into public service when she was so young so when she finally gets the chance to you know settle down and calm down there's this guy who's like obsessed with her and like wouldn't you be into that as well I don't know um I think that I don't know (laughs) it's controversial I suppose yeah. I think it's important to look at, I mean, as far as for Anakin, I think it's important to look at his his interactions with Padme throughout all of the trilogy. And because you said, Charlotte, that he's obsessed with her, which I think most people talk about how Anakin is obsessed with Padme. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you think about in The Phantom Menace, how drastically Anakin's life changed and who was kind of at the center of that and kind of walking through it with him, it was Padme. And then in Attack of the Clones, he tells Obi-Wan, he's like, I've spent every day for the past 10 years thinking of her. And like, that's a that's a lot. Um, and 
for me, it's always been like Anakin has fallen in love with this idea of who Padme is. He's had 10 years of imagining her and dreaming about her and building her up in his head um, to this to this like level that the real Padme was never going to meet. Um, and I think Anakin just fell in love with that idea. And then it kind of didn't matter who Padme actually was. Um, I don't think we get a lot of time in the films to see them getting to know each other. Anakin's just kind of constantly pursuing her from the moment they meet. Um, and he doesn't really get time to know who she really is versus this idea that he's just built up in his head about who she is. Um, so I think that's I think that's a really big part of their relationship um, is just recognizing kind of why Anakin became obsessed with her. Um, and that, you know, I, the Clone Wars does give you more time to really delve into their relationship a little more. Um, but it certainly wasn't a focus of the Clone Wars. No, no. So there's, I think there should always be more to really understanding their dynamic together. And yeah. I think particularly from Padme's point of view, I think it's easier to see why Anakin loves her um, for Padme, not not as much. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't don't the Clone Wars show you that she had a love interest before she met Anakin or yeah. in like, that period between the Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones? Yeah, that's what um, I was saying before those episodes with Rush Clovis. I think it's season six. And you can watch them even without watching like a lot of the other Clone Wars stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really interesting because their relationship, Anakin takes like a really destructive turn. And it's like, it's it's really interesting. I'm not going to spoil it, but you should watch it. <laughs> <laughs> it's all on Netflix. <laughs> yeah. um, I have seen a few Clone Wars episodes and like I think I might have seen like the first three and mm-hmm. it's some kind of adventure where like Padme gets in trouble and Anakin and Obi-Wan go and help her. I know that sounds incredibly vague and I'm sure that describes <laughs> several Clone Wars arcs. Um, but yeah, I really liked seeing like Anakin and Padme in that in those episodes because it was really cool to see them interact like in a different context, like not just an exclusively romantic context, which is often mm-hmm. the case in the films, but like to see them collaborating when they're like both in like peril and stuff. You do obviously get some of that in Attack of the Clones, like in the Battle of Geonosis and stuff, but mm-hmm. it's like nice to just see them like back and forth and like having some banter and stuff and like. I get the impression that the Clone Wars like just gives you like a really like a much rounder picture of that relationship and like how they interact with each other. W- would you say that's true? Yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it is hard because there obviously is a disconnect. It's different actors. It's animation versus live action. Mm. So it, it it is hard to merge those two like those two storylines together. Um, but I mean, for us we've been watching the Clone Wars a lot. It's a little easier, I think, but I, I know where, I know it can be hard for people that aren't as familiar with the Clone Wars. Yeah, like, it's it's funny because Kat Tabor is the voice actress, and I still don't really know how I feel about Kat Tabor, even though Padme is my favorite character. Like, I think that Natalie Portman's performance will always, like, reign as, like, definitive Padme for me. Right, Caitlin? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, um... But yeah, Keelan's right. There's like slight a slight disconnect, I think. But mm-hmm. it's in terms of story, it's there. I really liked seeing Natalie Portman talk more about Star Wars recently. I saw her like mm-hmm. bring it up in interviews and say she's thinking about showing her son the um prequels and then she realized it might be a bit scary because she was pregnant and she realized that her character in the prequels is pregnant and dies. <laughs> and it's like <laughs> I might not want to show this to my small child. It might be slightly traumatic. <laughs> 
so weird funny. things you got to think about as an actress. <laughs> <laughs> it's really weird. Yeah. Um, yeah, the prequels are a tragedy, right? Like that's the thing. They, they deal with some pretty heavy themes for children's movies. Like Revenge yeah. of the Sith is. Yeah, that's got to be the darkest Star Wars film, even though I know a lot of people reference Empire, but Revenge of the Sith is darker, in my opinion. Yeah, it is. I mean, just by the amount of people that die in Revenge of the Sith, (laughs) it is the darkest. And I think that it has, it follow. it doesn't follow, like, the prequels don't follow, like, the hero's arc at all. They, you know, right? I'm right about that, I think. Yeah. No, you're definitely right. I mean, Um, Anakin does become, like, a villain, so... Yeah, yeah, I guess you could say yeah. it's a version. <laughs> it's more like Shakespearean, isn't it? I guess it's like this tragedy from Grace, like, well, and, that, mean, and that's it's... why it's interesting because I think in a lot of other film series, it would just be the question of regurgitating like the same arc or the same like broad story, like just with some superficial like aesthetic elements changed. But mm-hmm. I do think that George Lucas is trying to tell a fundamentally different type of story of the prequels which is mm-hmm. like the thing I admire and appreciate the most about them because that is so much more interesting than just telling like another story about these like free young whippersnappers having like crazy space adventures <laughs> winning against the evil empire. Um, so yeah, like I really like prequels for that. Yeah, and you still have that element of hope because you know that it sits alongside the original trilogy. So you know in the end, Vader will ultimately be, be redeemed. Like, do you guys yeah. feel that it, how does it affect how you view the original trilogy now? Well, for me, I Luke Skywalker is my favorite character of all time in Star Wars. So I kind of always look at every movie and how it relates to him and his journey. Because um, I think his is one of the most developed out of all the characters in the films. Um, so for me, like the tragedy of Anakin's fall and the enormity of the whole Jedi falling and the Republic and everything um, really sets up how amazing it is that Luke is able to bring his father back, that this whole society has crumbled because of this thing that happened with Anakin and Luke is able to bring him back from that. Um, So I I think for me, I I kind of always look at the prequels as setting up Luke's journey. Um, I think that will be different once the sequel trilogy is complete, when you're looking at the whole bigger picture of all nine films. Um, But for right now, I kind of always see it in relation Luke. Yeah, I I think that's a good point because even at Padme's last dying words are like there's good in him, she knows there's still good in him and like that's echoed by Luke at the end. Um and I think by watching the prequels you get that sort of reinforced that yes, there is something about this family that they can be redeemed. Mm. Yeah, you guys think- were having a really interesting discussion about Anakin on was it this week's show yeah um, yes. you were like trying to find the point where he becomes Darth Vader definitively and I can't remember which one of you it was or maybe both of you were saying you weren't sure if he ever becomes Vader fully because you know in the end that there is that that goodness that's still in him that Padme sees and then that Luke sees yeah we yeah. were, it's funny because we both had like specific points of when we thought Darth Vader, I mean, Anakin became Darth Vader, but then at the end of that discussion, we were like, wait, he never actually <laughs> fully becomes Darth Vader. And the, the thing is, we've had this conversation a number of times in the past, and we've never come to this conclusion. But I think it, I think it was, it is kind of comparing it to Kylo Ren, because Kylo is a villain in progress, and he's got that light and dark inside of him right now that's kind of battling like who's going to come out on top 
Um, is he going to be for the light side or the dark side? And I think that what did we say? It was it's like a barometer of dark side in these characters. <laughs> and it's like like when Anakin's Darth Vader, he's like ninety percent dark side, but he's still got like that ten percent of light side. And right now, <laughs> Kylo Ren is like like sixty forty. <laughs> <laughs> And so I think it, I don't think we probably would have come to that conclusion without seeing Kylo Ren's journey so far. Yeah, I I think that was a really great discussion because um, I know a lot of fans do like to think of Vader and Anakin as separate characters, but they're not really. It's the same person. And I I think that was part of what George Lucas wanted people to get from the story, right? That Mm -hmm. Vader was still Anakin all along. He had just been consumed in the darkness for so long. Definitely. There's this really great moment in Star Wars Rebels where you get that, like, kind of understanding more of how Anakin is Darth Vader. Um, it's, like, very, very obvious. And it's it's a really great moment. So if you're not watching Star Wars Rebels either, <laughs> you should definitely give it a go. Yeah, that is a, that's a fantastic episode. Like, yeah, it's any- like, definitely the highlight, I think, for me at least. Mm-hmm. Is that, like, the final two-parter at the end of season two? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I know. I haven't seen it, but I know what happens. Um, which is really bad. That like completely encompasses <laughs> not, like, the fan mentality. No. <laughs> so I know it's what really happens. not bad. <laughs> the, the animation is the like Clone Wars and Rebels. It's hard to stay away from spoilers if you're not watching it as it's happening. Yeah. Uh, but that that whole episode was just like when Ahsoka slices that mask off, and you see like Anakin from the Clone Wars. That was like a, that was like a moment for me where I was like, oh my gosh, like that is Anakin in Vader's suit. That's so crazy. Mm. It was like you know that it's Anakin, but there is like that break. He's got he looks like Vader. He's got the suit on. It's James Earl Jones' voice. Like it's hard to merge him. But in that moment, I was like, wow, that is Anakin. <laughs> mm. Didn't they have an interesting parallel with some of the dialogue there? Um, yeah, it was Kylo talking to Han about like I destroyed Ben Solo, mm-hmm. um, and he said. Like and that Anakin was weak, so he destroyed him or something mm-hmm. like that. Yes. Yeah, that was cool. Yep. yep. Dave Filoni, man. <laughs> <laughs> Steering that ship. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think that the um that comparing Anakin's journey to Kylo is like actually really interesting, and I think they're actually pulling a lot of like concept art from Revenge of the Sith and everything. I'm. I think even with the scar, it looks like Anakin's. So I'm I'm intrigued to see what sort of prequel elements they bring in, specifically with Kylo's character because he's like so Anakin, Darth Vader obsessed. Yeah, there is this theory that Kylo's arc over the trilogy could be kind of an inversion of Anakin's, right? That mm. instead of going further into the darkness, we actually meet him at the point where. Anakin is just becoming Vader in Revenge of the Sith and Kylo's already feeling that conflict like have I made the right decision so we're going to kind of see him go the other way potentially mm-hmm. it's very wow. interesting <laughs> yeah I, I want to see if there because as far as we know as far as I know Kylo is obsessed with Vader but I wonder if he has that kind of knowledge about Anakin and Anakin's life before he became Vader or mm-hmm. if he kind of only knows Darth Vader I think in the novelization, like, um, they make it yeah. clear that um, Kylo knows, like, the circumstances in which Vader was redeemed. So he knows that Vader mm. became Anakin again. But you're right, I don't think we have any sense of, like, whether Kylo knows, like, that 
Anakin fell because he loved his wife so much and he wanted to save mm-hmm. her from death. Like that whole story. And I'd really like to see that explored. Realistically, I don't think we'll see it touched upon unless it's like in books or comics or something. Um, yeah. It'd be so cool just to like see a line or something in the movies just to see like acknowledgement of that phase in the story. Um, yeah. Because it is a series of nine films. And mm. it would be nice to see that remembered in the sequel trilogy. And I do think they'll do it because there is this whole idea in some circles that all oh, the sequel trilogy is all about expunging the bad memories of the prequels so that no one need ever think about them again. But I do absolutely think there are prequel influences going on. And like even like on Twitter, Pablo Hidalgo and people like that, they're rubbishing the idea that the prequels are being sidelined or ignored, like in the new canon. They're still important mm-hmm. and they're still factoring into the story. Um, so yeah, if anything, I think we're going to see that becoming more prominent. Because like, even in Rogue One, when we saw Mustafar, that is like a very yeah. big embrace of the prequels and bringing something that's quintessentially tied to those films like back into this like modern canon um and yeah it's really cool and i really hope we see mustafar in the last jedi to be honest so fingers crossed (laughs) i hadn't even thought about that but that would be awesome (laughs) it'd be such a great base i i I am also yeah (laughs) oh my gosh she'd be so into that (laughs) (laughs) his emo castle yeah barbie's dream palace but for kylo yes yes um the I'm, I was really encouraged by Rogue One's like aesthetic and inclusion of prequel elements. I think that, you know, a lot of the criticism that's like, you know, so touched upon and hit on the head, it's like almost exhausting at this point about like that The Force Awakens was a rehashing of A New Hope. Um, but I think that, you know, Caitlin and I talk about this a lot. It was, it, the movie served a purpose to bring back a whole slew of fans to the Star Wars community and it succeeded but it didn't like 100% forget about the prequels at all. Mm. Um, but I think with Rogue One, especially with it being so close to the prequels in terms of time period, they really used that um, uh, prequel artistic, uh, I don't know, look <laughs> and a bunch of different vehicles and Mustafar, like you mentioned, to bring it back and connect it. And I think they really succeeded. I was really encouraged by it. Yeah, I was too by Rogue One. Um, But I think, I mean, you're absolutely right, Charlotte, like The Force Awakens had a purpose and it was to bring back fans who who didn't like the prequels. Um, And I mean, a lot of the marketing was spent talking about how it was going back to the original way and they're doing all these practical effects. And um, that was like a big part of selling The Force Awakens to a lot of new fans. They're like, well, I just I don't want to see the prequels again, you know. Um, but I, I think it will be a lot different in The Last Jedi, and I'm hoping that we see a lot more direct references to the prequel trilogy. Um, and I think that, you know, Luke talking about how the Jedi have to end, um, I think that's going to be cause for some really direct references to how the Jedi fell in the prequel trilogy that Luke is kind of uncovering and learning about. Um, and Luke is going to, I'm hoping Luke will come to understand how the Jedi fell, um, and that's going to determine, you know, how the force is going to be handled in the future by by force users like Luke um, and whether or not he has the right information about what happened or <laughs> does the quote unquote right thing with it um, remains to be seen. But I mean, I'm, I'm always going to bet on Luke Skywalker. So, 
Yeah, I've been really encouraged because I, Ryan Johnson said before that he's a fan of the prequels. And I know a lot of prequels fans were kind of disappointed by the way J.J. Abrams was emphasizing the original trilogy so much in the lead up to The Force Awakens, like you say. But I think a lot of that was kind of dictated by Disney because they knew Mm -hmm. they had to gain people's trust back and make a ton of money. And the sad reality was that a lot of critics really didn't think much of the prequels. Um, So they had to distance themselves from that, which is frustrating for many fans myself included but it was just kind of the reality Mm -hmm. um but just looking at the the trailer that we got for the last jedi i think they are kind of kind of expand on all these different planets and locations and just kind of bring in more of that aesthetic and hopefully with things like costumes and stuff like that as well yeah Um, and as you say like the jedi order like once you watch the prequels and understand, oh, the Jedi really weren't that great. They no. were not perfect, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which you don't really get any sense of in the original trilogy. Like I know you have Yoda and Obi Wan who turn out to be wrong when they're talking to Luke about, you know, yeah. Vader's too far gone and everything, but you don't get that wider sense of the Jedi culture and what they valued. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a part of why people like in in some sections of the fandom and like in professional reviewing circles it's a part of why they didn't like the prequels it's because between return of the jedi and the phantom menace people had over a decade to build up all these expectations and ideas about like what the jedi were and Mm -hmm. what they should be perhaps more pertinently um and yeah when the prequels came along and it was basically like well the jedi they actually aren't that great to be honest they're (laughs) mired in bureaucracy they have their priorities all wrong and yeah it's just all this like muddying of the moral waters and i think Mm -hmm. that settled some people and it wasn't what they wanted from those films Mm. and i think that played into the backlash against them Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's that saying that, like, expectation is the thief of joy. And, (laughs) like, people came in with such these high expectations for what they were going to see. And it wasn't it wasn't that at all. But when you think about it, it's like, well, you can have a time when the Jedi Order were at their height, because then it it wouldn't make sense that Anakin would fall Mm. and kind of take down the whole the whole infrastructure of the Jedi. And you kind of had to be seeing them at the very end of, of their golden era, if you will. Yeah. Um, it's just, for me, it's just sad that people, that a lot of fans will discredit the prequel trilogy as less than because they're not the same as the original trilogy and mm. don't really take the time to really see all of the tragedy that has been interwoven into these films um, and is really crucial to understanding the setup for the original trilogy. Um, I don't think people look at those connections as much as as much as they should to really see all of the the depth that George Lucas built into the prequel trilogy. Mm. Like, what do you feel like the status of the prequel trilogy is now, like in Star Wars fandom? Because I've only been to one Star Wars celebration. That was the one in London last year. But mm-hmm. my impression then, and my impression from like observing like Orlando this year, is that there's just like this very wide embrace for prequel era stuff. Like Hayden yeah. seems to have been greeted so so warmly when he showed up at <laughs> celebration. Like everyone oh, loves yes. Hayden. <laughs> Tears. Tears of joy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and that's really, really nice. Um so yeah, I guess just the question is like, would you agree with that? Do you think it's mostly positive at this stage? Like rather than like nitpicking and criticism? Yeah, I think it's on the rise. And I think that has to do with the age of people who associate their own nostalgia with the prequels growing up and having that like time period to look back upon. 
Um, and it's like their Star Wars that they have. I think, was it Dave Filoni at this past celebration said that every generation needs to have their own Star Wars? Mm. And now yeah. the generation that was the prequel trilogy is now growing older and has a voice in the fandom and a voice like everywhere. And I think it is really meaningful and proving that people did really love the prequels in their own way, even if they felt a little suppressed. Um, I think that Hayden Christensen at Celebration was a really good example because he, you're right, he was greeted so warmly and like, including by myself, you know. <laughs> Did you give him a warm hug? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> really nice. For way too long. Like, like, okay, time to take the photo. <laughs> oh my god, that must have been life goals. I, I should make it clear it that we met him at Celebration for the photo shoot. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, Just we were, context. I, I forget what panel uh, we were going to right after that. I think it was we were we were going to Dave David Collins panel, like doing a breakdown of the Rogue One soundtrack. And I was in line, and I was going to save a seat for Charlotte because she was getting um, her photo with Hayden. And she calls me afterwards, like as I'm going into the panel, and she's like so emotional. She's like, Caitlin, Caitlin, I hugged it. I hugged him too long." <laughs> and I'm like, what? Is, like, I can't hear you. You're whispering. She's like, I hugged him too long. I'm coming by. And like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, I think what you said is exactly right, Charlotte. Like, the tide is turning. Like, our generation of fans who grew up with the prequels are finally because I think there was such a stigma among people for saying that you liked the prequels more. It was kind of like you were looked down upon for not thinking that the original trilogy was the end-all be-all and I mean the original trilogy are my favorite films um but I think there's so much merit in the prequel trilogy and so much good in the prequel trilogy um you just kind of have to be willing to to take another look at it um if you're not if you're not so sure about the prequel trilogy um I really think you gotta you gotta give it another chance and and take a second to really think about I think the I think the prequel trilogy does a really good job of kind of painting a bigger picture of what's going on in the galaxy more so than the original trilogy. I think, um, and so I, I think it I think it's really good for that. And once you take the time to really see the mechanics of what's going on as far as like the Senate and the Republic and what Palpatine is doing and how the whole Jedi Order is about to fall, um, I think you get a lot more enjoyment out of those films too. Once you kind of really understand everything that's going on. Yeah, I think that's so true because in the original trilogy, I, I love those films, don't get me wrong, but there's so much wider context missing. Like, you know that the Empire is bad, but you're not really sure why. Yeah. You know, like every there's a lot that's not explained. And some people argue that the prequels kind of over-explain things, like there's too much politics, but all of that stuff is really important for understanding the galaxy and, and why these individuals made choices that turned out to be very bad. Um, but you it makes you sympathize with them. Like you sympathize with Darth Vader, which is pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's funny because <laughs> I, um, I love the force awakens. Like I don't want to ever like speak low of it. Um, but I was like, Oh my gosh, where's the politics? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I first saw it, I'm like, where are we? What's going on? Like, I have no idea. Right. Caitlin, remember in that movie, yeah. in the movie theater? I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, maybe I'm just so used to like the extreme politics of the prequels that like, that's what I expected. But mm -hmm. um, it's funny. <laughs> now that we have that like broader context and like books and 
you know, things have been filled in for us about um, the sequel trilogy. But I was like, where's the politics? I need the politics. (laughs) It's true. Like, the only real illusion you get to it is, like, in the scene where General Hux is going, the loaves of resistance and their friends (laughs) in the Republic. (laughs) And it's like, whoa, the Republic has clearly done Yes, that was it. That was it. Calm down. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but that's, like, it. That's basically the only nod to it. And... I do think that was like a conservative move on Jodie's mm-hmm. part because I think even in the deleted scenes you can see that there was originally more like political stuff because there were scenes with like Leia and Corsella mm-hmm. and they actually yeah. gave some of the political background and helped you understand what on earth was going on or what in the galaxy was going on. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I kind of wish those scenes had been put back in. It's like a bit how I like how I wish that the scenes with Padme that were deleted yes. Revenge yes. <laughs> so much that those scenes were back in the film because I think they add so much to her character and her arc in that film and have you guys um, read the novelization for Revenge of the Sith? Oh it's the best it's novelization so good. ever it's amazing. I have not read it yet I'm sorry <laughs> it's really really impressive I don't normally read the novelizations because the novelization to The Force Awakens <laughs> um, but yeah the one for Revenge of the Sith it's just on another level it's so great and I'd advise that anyone read it to be honest anyone who likes good science fiction because it's just a genuinely good book and a great story um, but yeah, like that book enriches everything so much and it incorporates all those deleted scenes. And even though the prequels are obviously better than The Force Awakens as a given context anyway, like everything in Revenge of the Sith feels so like complete and fully fleshed out that I felt like it gave me a whole new appreciation of not just Revenge of the Sith, but the prequels in general. It's like, wow, everything's clicking into place so much. It was great. Yes. It's on my list. It's on my list to read. <laughs> that book... Um has so many great character moments and like focus on the characters that it just totally enriches the story like you said it's so good it's so good <laughs> really isn't it it really lets you understand that relationship between Anakin and Padme in a way that I don't think the films quite get there because yes. with the films you almost always see what they're going for but either because the script writing or like occasionally the performances and like a mix of those two things it doesn't quite come through but in the novelization, because the writing's so good and you really feel these characters, you understand it all. And you're like, yes, I know why these people are doing what they're doing and I understand their feelings and emotions. And mm-hmm. yeah, it just makes for a really complete experience of it. It's so good. Wow. I want to reread it like right now. <laughs> <laughs> Inspirational conversation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you guys have hopes for prequel era standalones? Like, are there certain films and ideas that you would love to see explored? I do. Um, yes. I... <laughs> My dream standalone. And I think you tweeted about this recently, right? The, yes. Um, yeah. The Padme uh, Handmaiden. Yeah. Oh my god, that would be amazing. (laughs) I don't think it would ever happen, to be honest. I just don't think that they could get those actresses back. But if they could and they could swing it, I think that would be so good. And it's such an amazing statement on, you know, the Star Wars film canon as a whole. I would love it. I missed that tweet. What's this idea? Oh, I said that I would (laughs) love (laughs) I would love um a standalone about the Naboo royal handmaidens. And I, I said it could be Sofia Coppola who directed it just because <laughs> yeah. it would have that awesome like Marie Antoinette vibe. But um, yeah. just 
Yeah, I mean, they wouldn't even have to do it necessarily with Padme's handmaidens because they could just have a look at like that Naboo royal court culture, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But really I, that's cool. something that I really love about the Phantom Menace that you have these like fourteen-year-old girls running around kicking ass. It's awesome. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> to me, that, that's the highlight of the Phantom Menace. Mm. It's so yeah, cool. I, it's so unique. The... I don't think there are any other like sci-fi films that use that concept. Mm. No. It yeah, it would be really cool to see that explored in a standalone or something like that. I mean, I've said before, I would love to see a Leia standalone, but a Padme one would be even better, really, because you just feel like she is under underappreciated in general in the Star Wars canon. Mm-hmm. So. Padme sure. deserves more. <laughs> <laughs> I think I I would love to see like some sort of political thriller in the prequel era, like someone who's working in the Senate figures out what Palpatine is doing and it's like a race against the clock like is he going to be able to tell everyone uh like are they are they going to save the galaxy the answer is no because like Palpatine offs them or something um before they get to tell everyone that Palpatine is like Dark Lord of the Sith um because I think that would be a really great chance to one I think you could have Padme in that film too but I also think it would be fun to see like these other people kind of operating within the Senate that not everyone in the Senate just like blindly followed Palpatine. Like there were some other people who had ideas about what were what was really going on and wanted to stand up and do something about it. Um, I think that would I think that would be really fun. Yeah, I've seen it suggested before on Twitter that there could be a standalone with the, to bring it back to the handmaidens, but also political intrigue. Um, <laughs> The, the handmaidens like investigating Padme's death because they don't believe it and I think that would be a really mm. good movie or even a comic book I, I don't even know it could be great <laughs> yeah there's so much rich stuff there to mine like you could tell hundreds of stories if you wanted to which is totally. part of why that world is so exciting yeah there's yeah. so much I mean I I really want my Ahsoka movie but like that that's kind of top of my list honestly it's like an Ahsoka movie that takes place like right after she left the Jedi Order um or like a whole like a whole other tv series about Ahsoka just like more Ahsoka <laughs> that's what I think would be great. <laughs> that is the key <laughs> yeah that's really the key <laughs> um right that was a really wonderful discussion but I think we should yeah. probably wrap it up about that. Um, are there any like final words you guys would like to say to people about the prequels? Like maybe people who are a bit, I don't know, like skeptical about them. Like, is there any like words of encouragement you'd like to give people? Think about the story over the acting and um, and the writing, because what's in the story is more important than the acting, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would encourage everyone, I've talked about this at length on our show too, to watch the, all the movies in machete order, which is four, five, two, three, six. Um, that was like a huge turning point for me personally, even in the past two years of really seeing all the films from a different point of view and from a new perspective. Um, and it really opened my eyes to a lot more of the intricacies within the prequel trilogy. Um, so I would definitely, I would definitely encourage everyone to watch it like that, just because you kind of get into a routine when you're watching Star Wars, especially for us when we would marathon it. Um, and it's kind of like you're almost going through the motions, but switching up the order, it was, it, it was like a fresh perspective and I gained a whole new appreciation for the prequel trilogy. I've heard about the Machete Order, but 
what is it about that order that you think changes your perception of the story? Um, it's well, you watch it. So it's four, five, two, three, six. Um, and what's great is at the end of Empire Strikes Back is obviously when you find out that Vader is Luke's father. And then you start episode two and you treat episodes two and three like an extended flashback. Oh, um, okay. And it's like so you come off of this like crazy revelation at the end of Empire. Of like, oh, my God, like Vader is Luke's father. How is that possible? And then you see the whole story of how it happened and you gain this sympathy for Darth Vader um, through watching episodes two and three. And then you get to episode six and you're like, yeah, like Luke needs to save Anakin. Like, you're more mm -hmm. invested, I think, in that. Um, and you kind of understand more of what's happened. I think it, it, I think it puts more weight on what happens in the last film in episode six. Definitely. And there's a lot of visual, um, visual things that are super interesting that are mm -hmm. going on. Like, right, Caitlin, your favorite thing is that Empire ends in the clouds and then Attack of the Clones opens in the clouds. So yeah. it's it's really kind of cool. And then also it preserves this it preserves the surprise of Leia being Luke's sister until the end of Revenge of the Sith. So you're not really you're that that is still a surprise basically because that right after that you go into Return of the Jedi. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's 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 really great. It's really great. <laughs> you make a very compelling case. I want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that is an interesting idea because a lot of people do just kind of separate the prequels as if it's this thing that's not related. And um, that probably does contribute to this idea that Vader and Anakin are different people, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, it's like you end Revenge of the Sith with Anakin's fall and you see him put on that mask. And but it's like it, it's more fresh in your mind that he was that he was Anakin Skywalker and that there is something redeemable in him when you get into Return of the Jedi. Mm. Um, it's I I I gush about the Machete Order all the time, so I would definitely <laughs> encourage people to watch Machete Order. Just give it a shot. You'll at least like get to see the films in a new order, and that in and of itself is really fun. Mm. Yeah, that just reminded me of. Like, I know this is not really that related, but um, <laughs> you know the the iconic now scene of Vader in Rogue One, like just mm -hmm. completely destroying all of those rebels. I find mm -hmm. it so interesting that fandom has like really celebrated that scene but it does it doesn't make people question whether vader should have been redeemed like i know there was some controversy when george lucas decided to show anakin killing all the younglings like oh well how did he redeem him after that mm -hmm. but everyone is just okay with seeing vader his most ruthless and terrifying but mm -hmm. kylo ren is like seen as oh he can't be redeemed now you know to me it is so bizarre because that whole Rogue One is like very, a very emotional movie. And to me, I was so scared. Like I was shaking from that Vader scene. And I hear people say that they were like smiling and they loved that. I was like, this is terrifying. Mm. Um, so I agree. It's kind of an interesting thing, an interesting conversation that goes around with that particular scene. I think it really goes back to like fan favorite Han Solo, like that that is crazy like that blows people's minds that someone can come back from that and people kind of forget all of these things that were built up in Vader like in Anakin turning to the dark side because I think they are so separate like you had the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy and you have this huge time gap between them um, whereas with Kylo it's going to be a much more condensed timeline I would imagine 
Yeah, I do wonder if it's whether a character is masked while they're doing these things as well. Like, um, mm. you know, if you'd seen Anakin with his hood up killing all of those rebels rather oh. than Vader in the suit, mm. um, would it have been so much more horrifying for people? Yeah, there That's is like a dissonance with that. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. I definitely think it hurts people more with Kylo that he kills his father when his he's like unmasked. Because it mm-hmm, does yeah. it immediately make it so much more like personal and intimate. Mm-hmm. And you can't escape in that scene the fact that this is a son killing his father. Like whereas yeah. when Darth Vader does all this horrible stuff, he's got the mask on, he's got all like the gear on and the cloak and everything. Yeah. There is not that same sense of like intimacy or like you, you almost forget there's a person there. It's just like, what a badass. Um mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, there's not like the emotional aspect. And it's also people you don't know. Yeah. Like that Vader's killing also. It's like the younglings, yeah, it was horribly tragic, but we didn't know any of them. And then yeah. um like the Trade Federation, it's like, well, we didn't really like them. So <laughs> and yeah. then the rebels, it's like, oh, those are rebels, but it's not like you can put a name to any of them. Yeah. Yeah. And in a new hope as well, like I know Vader kills Obi-Wan, but you don't have any of that kind of emotional weight there. As a, compare it to like their fight at the end of Revenge of the Sith. Mm-hmm. You don't really get that sense. Even though you know that they knew each other, mm-hmm. it's just not yeah. quite the same. Mm. Totally. Yeah. A really interesting discussion, guys. Um, so yeah, f- thank you so much for coming on. Um, we really, really enjoyed it. And I think we had a great chat. Um, would you like to tell us where people can find you and where people can listen to your podcast? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having us on the show. It's like, it's always so fun to talk about the prequels and um, it's awesome to be here and we love you guys. So it's great to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you can find us on Twitter at SkyTalkersPod and we're also on iTunes at uh, SkyTalkersPodcast or wherever you can get podcasts. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. And I really strongly recommend that people check you guys out because you do an amazing podcast and you deserve more listeners. Thank Thank you. (laughs) It just remains to be said, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you guys for having us. This has been so much fun. Yeah, thank you for coming on. (laughs) Um, Right, we now have our spoiler section. I shouldn't. do it right and the first item in spoilers is that we've actually had a toy leak where we've seen kylo ren's starfighter and yeah i won't even attempt to describe it because i'm rubbish with ships and my description would be miserable um but i will read out making star wars description of said starfighter because that's what jason's good at jason well jason's good at many things but he's definitely better at describing ships than i am yeah, and obviously, if you want to see a picture of it, go on to the Making Star Wars website. So. Yes. <laughs> Excellent point. Uh, <laughs> right, so Jason says, Kylo's starfighter almost looks like a new incarnation of the TIE Interceptor. The wings are very wide and slender like the Interceptor. And then he goes on to quote from an earlier article that he released before um, the leak came out. Supreme Leader Snoke was let down by Kylo Ren when he failed to stop the girl. Now he is trying to prove himself. He doesn't wear his helmet as much as he did in the first film, from what I've been told. His new tie has pointed wings like the tie interceptor, but with a pill-shaped body. The cockpit is sort of like an old B-29 bomber compared to the classic tie cockpit window. The thrusters in the back remind me of the Falcon as they grow blue and sort of evoke the Falcon. 
The custom ship was supposedly made to his specifications so he could take down the resistance. And I believe we see Kylo fly from the Mega Destroyer in his new ship. Um, so yeah, what did you think about our first look at this ship, Kirsty? It's impressive. Like, I'm, I am not a ship expert. <laughs> not this kind of ship, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Actually, I'm not even an expert in those kind of ships. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, I like ship, Kirsty. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> one specific ship. Um, but yeah, like, it looks cool. Like, I, I liked his um, limo, as they called it, in The Force Awakens. But this one looks cool, and I'm excited to see him fly it. Like, we've been getting hints that we'll see him flying. So, um, yeah. I don't know what else to say. Like, they've, you know, it's interesting to have these references to things like the Falcon and also that it's like a weird cross between Vader's tie and the Falcon. Mm. And, like, that could say interesting things about the character. Not that, it, again, it would not be explicitly referenced in the movie, but for people who know these little details, it does kind of inform the character a bit more that it's that whole, you can't deny the truth of your family that he's still kind of referencing his family in these different ways yeah there's a really cool design element like you say it's a subtle thing um but i'd imagine it reflects the themes that are going to be present in the film about this um duality between like kylo is han solo's son and kylo is the grandson of darth vader mm-hmm. and those two different aspects of himself like duking it out almost um but yeah didn't jason like indicate that it's going to be a two-seater ship at some point in the past well, if he's referencing the B-29, which is kind of like the Falcon's cockpit, it does right. have two seats. So oh. I am I was wondering if that would have implications for the story. Mm. Because it's obviously not like that classic tie that Vader has with the one-seater. It's, it means that he has two seats, so he could potentially have someone else in the ship at some point. Yeah. It does imply that he might want to take someone away with him. Covering! Mm-hmm. Covering! <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so maybe it will become a ship that facilitates another kind of ship. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry, I need someone to stop me at this point. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I'm looking forward to seeing this thing in action. I'm so sure it's going to look even more impressive in real life, so to speak, because, yeah, it's just a toy. So there's limits to the picture you get of it from seeing this like, crappy, low-quality plastic version. <laughs> yeah, when you get these little leaks, I wonder you know if that means that at some point you would see it in marketing like if it's going to be featured in a trailer like you know it's not even that long before we get all the toys it's like the beginning of september right yes so the summer's just kind of fly by yeah um so much first (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i wonder if we would see him flying even in a trailer or if they will want to keep that as a surprise for the movie who knows Mm. Oh, yeah. What did you think about the toy being on like a rebellion base? It had the mm. rebellion symbol on it, I think. That's the kind of thing that I don't let myself look into. No, you can't. You it just kind can't. Of, yeah, it's, it's a like, sure path you, to madness. <laughs> right. You have no idea who decided for that to happen. Like if it was just kind of an employee at the shop that took a photo and put it on the website or, you know, like you can drive yourself crazy with that kind of thing. Um, so I would definitely not look into that as evidence of any kind of redemption. I mean, we have enough evidence for that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, that that's just like, it could be, it could not. I think it's most likely to be a mistake. I don't for a minute see them like intentionally marketing that aspect of Kylo right now in the toys. Well, exactly. If it, if it was intentional, it would be a massive spoiler, which is kind of strange. So Exactly. 
Um, right, then the next story is that a coded list of Star Wars The Last Jedi toys has leaked. Um, yeah, there's been lots and lots of leaks along these lines recently. Um, but I will only read out the relevant ones. Um, they're, they're like doing toys of like Qui-Gon and Lando and stuff, but I'll focus on the ones that seem more mysterious, shall we say. I'm really excited about that Qui-Gon one, actually. <laughs> yeah, is that going to be the first Qui-Gon Black Series? I don't know actually i don't have a qui-gon and i really like the character so i'll probably be buying this one but i don't know if one already exists out there yeah be nice to see that sexy hair <laughs> just like raise hair exactly yeah right <laughs> rage in you know that's clearly waiting to happen um right so yeah the toys listed on this leaked list are cool beater foxtrot blue leader Victor 2, we're thrown. And I think that means GameStop exclusive. Um, And then Victor and Gods of Evil 4-pack. <laughs> and Gods of Evil 4-pack is going to cost $90, which is ridiculous. Um, But yeah, that's insane. Um, Yeah, so did you get anything from this, Kirsty? Have any theories or ideas? Um, well, I'd heard that Foxtrot was Ray. Mm-hmm. Or, or people at least what people were speculating. Um, the Victor stuff seems to be kind of up for debate because some people think it's Snoke and some people think it's Kylo, but uh, because wasn't there one that said that he had a saber or something? Yeah, I think there's another list along those lines and people are like, mm, would they really be selling a Snoke toy of a saber? Right. Um, which is a good point. Um, I have seen some speculation that Tango Red, which is another code that's been used, could be Kylo, but yeah, we don't know. <laughs> There's yeah, that, that would make more sense because obviously the red would refer to his saber and if Snoke sat on a throne which we've heard from other spoilers that just seems to make sense, right? Yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting that we would get Snoke toys now because that I know we've heard those spoilers so it's like yes, he's going to be demystified to some extent but obviously you don't have anything like that already. Yeah. So it does make you wonder if he's going to play a bigger part in this movie as opposed to just being the mystery box that he was in The Force Awakens. Yeah. For the sake of avoiding like a fandom meltdown, I really hope that we like get Luke toys at least at the same time as Snoke toys. So there will be That's riots in the point. street if we get a Snoke toy before we get a Luke toy. <laughs> so be That's like, a good we will point. bring them down. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Luke has got to be one of these. Like, or at least there's got to be a Luke figure somewhere in the mix because about... I don't think this represents the whole range. What about Cool Beta? Is that could that be Luke? Could be, yeah. I, mm. I'd guess it was a male character of some description, but yeah, it's so hard. Gods of Evil are interesting. I know um, Jason Ward on Making Stars, he's talked about Snoke having Praetorian guards. Mm. Um, so yeah, they seem like the safest bet for who that could refer to. Um, but yeah, I like that there's not much effort to like code that. It's just Gods of Evil. <laughs> yeah. It's like that turned out to be some someone from the resistance, like Snipe, haha, you thought it was evil, but actually it's the good guys. <laughs> it's these team of like, resistance engineers. Yeah, it's just so cute. Like just I know we're doing the exact same thing, but like I just love Star Wars fandom. It's so hilarious that we're all like trying to obsessively decode these and they're toys that we're all gonna get in a few months. Like yeah. chill. <laughs> I know, it's really funny. Yeah. Um right, to move swiftly on, we then have some leaked hand solo concept art. And yeah, like, again, this stuff is mostly of ships. And I'm rubbish at describing ships. There's also a lovely little illustration of Alden Ehrenreich as Han. He looks like Han, which one would expect. Um, and yeah, the, the ships look cool. 
very <laughs> functional. Um, I'm just thinking, like, if people want to hear these ships being discussed and analysed, there's probably like a hundred other podcasts out there that are better yeah. to listen to than us. <laughs> this is not our strength, um, and we will readily admit that this is not our strength. Um, but yeah, they do look like cool ship designs, but I'm just the kind of person where with ships I can't say much um, because, yeah, actually I guess the only one I can say something about is that it looks like there's kind of like a pod racer one in there. It's like the last one I've put in the notes, Kirsty. Mm-hmm. Um, like you can see it has just like a single rider on it. And I do find that interesting because... That we, is interesting. Yeah. Because, yeah, like, I mean, it, it's been hinted that, you know, like we know from Bloodline that Han was a racer. So yeah. is that something that could have been part of his past as well like where he used to smuggle he used to race gamble like all sorts i think that'd be a really cool thing because like in bloodline we obviously see him go back to that as like his post-military career so he's in like the racing circuit and i think it would be really nice to see the origins of that when he's a young man Mm. and like see him as one of the people like on the ships because you do get the impression from bloodline that he's more like a supervisory role he like mentors people and doesn't do so much of like the race in himself yeah um so yeah it'd be cool to see him like in his prime so to speak doing that yeah and i would also just love a reference like that to the phantom menace mm. um but i just i like the idea that they could potentially be having a more direct reference to the prequels there yeah, and like an acknowledgement that this is part of the culture of the galaxy. Yeah, so it doesn't even necessarily need to be like a callback. It's just yeah, pod race, pod racing, and other kinds of ship racing are just something that happens a lot in the galaxy. Yeah, um, and it, I guess in kind of a weird way, it draws a parallel between Han and his father-in-law. <laughs> exactly, which no one would have expected. <laughs> <laughs> How touching! Yes, <laughs> and just the other thing I want to quickly say, say is. Either the person that put those pictures up on eBay is incredibly stupid and did oh not understand that NDA or they were stolen. I don't see any other options. Like yeah, That's the big part of the story, really, isn't it? That yeah. That stuff appears on eBay. Like, yeah. It's really, really shocking. They it's... have to be stolen. Why would you do this to yourself? Yeah, it's probably going to ruin that person's career, to be honest, mm. even if it was stolen. I, I feel bad. Yeah. This is the thing about like this obsession with... And I... I'm not going to say this is Lucasfilm's fault. There's always a secrecy in film production, obviously. But there's this just real obsession. And we discuss spoilers, so I know we're part of that culture. Um, but there's just such an emphasis on, on like finding everything out and like there not being this mystery and people obsessing over concept art before it comes out. And it, it's just... it's the, the, These are people's careers, right? Yeah. Um, and that can have a real impact on whether they're allowed to work again in Hollywood or like work again in Star Wars. Um, and I, I just really hope that the person who made these images is not going to be blamed if it wasn't their fault. Like yeah. if something was actually stolen, that's a genuine mistake. It's not their fault. Mm. Um, yeah. So, oh God, that actually makes me feel guilty. Like we shouldn't be discussing this because it's all part of that problem. I wouldn't feel too bad because it's everywhere now and like i i know what you mean i understand like the sense of guilt but like we didn't put the pictures out there yeah and... i'm just wondering like who's gonna buy these are they have they already they, been they've bought? been taken down okay good. they've been pulled so the listings aren't up, up there anymore that i'm sure the damage has been done and that disney was the body that made sure they were taken down post haste yeah. um but yeah like 
it's sad to think about, but yeah, I, I hope people don't suffer too much because of it, because it does seem like a bad situation. Mm. Um, right, then the next story is that Ian McDermott is rumoured to feature in Series 4 of Star Wars Rebels. This, and this is from Star Wars Newsnet. And they say, Long story short, six months ago, Warwick Davis was recording his lines for Star Wars Rebels Season 4 in London, and just a few days later, none other than Emperor Palpatine himself, Ian McDermott, did the same. This all sounds very alluring. But there is one big problem. Emperor Palpatine already appeared in Rebels Season 2 and was voiced by Sam Witwer. Ooh. So yeah, what, what do you think about the prospect of getting Ian McDermott back in the show? I'm excited and I don't think it's a problem just because the character was voiced by another actor. Like Sam Witwer is very talented, so he did a pretty good impression. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's insulting to say something's an impression, but... Um, yeah, like, I don't think it would be a problem. Like, I think the excitement of having the original actor back would be enough to worry about, like, the consistency or or whatever. Um, I mean, I know you don't watch Rebels, but Palpatine is your favourite character in the prequels. So would this be enough to entice you to watch the season? Maybe those episodes. <laughs> Probably not the whole season, but yeah, the episodes I, where he's in them, yeah. Yeah, people know my, my perception of Rebels is mixed. Like, I, I watch the show, but I am... Um, I do not pretend it's perfect, um, but I would be excited for this to be true. Yeah. Um, I, I think the actor's fantastic, and I was really excited to see him at Celebration, and he obviously still is engaged with the role. Like, he was talking about how wonderful it was working with Aiden and with George Lucas. Um, so I, I can see him being enthusiastic about if if he was offered a chance to come back for the animated series. I, I don't know if he's done voice acting in that way before, but... Um, I, you know, it'd be great if he agreed to it. Yeah. No, fingers crossed. It would certainly make me enthusiastic to check him out because I, I always think there's like an extra like appeal to those episodes where it's like, ooh, the original actor's back. Nice. Mm. Makes it more enticing. Um, right. And then we just have one spoiler orientated question, but it's a doozy. So I really wanted to read it. And this one is from Jennifer. And she says, I know there have been lots of comments about Snoke being a player with his rich robes, a huge ring and fancy shoes. But the first thing that these spoilers made me think about was the Pope, since he also wears elaborate gold embroidered robes, a ceremonial ring and special red leather shoes. The Catholic Church has always shown off its wealth and power through its cathedrals and the description of Snoke's opulent palace decorated with white marble and gold trim reminded me of the Vatican. Plus, I've always thought that Kylo's costume in The Force Awakens resembles a priest's cassock more than anything else, which aligns neatly with Snoke's robes if they are indeed intended to have a papal feel to them. While I don't think that the creators were specifically trying to compare the dark side of Catholicism, <laughs> these are all visual clues that might connect these characters with well-established religious iconography. I think about Snoke. Re I think Snoke reads more like a cult leader, and Kylo feels like a lost soul who has been sucked in, brainwashed, and turned into a zealot. He describes Snoke as wise, and the Resistance as murderers, traitors, and thieves. So obviously, he has been convinced that he is on the side that has the moral high ground. Even the way that Kylo was asked to kill his father to prove his devotion reminded me of religious cults like Scientology, where members are forced to disown their closest family members if they don't share the church's beliefs. In many ways, the prequel trilogy was a cautionary tale about diplomatic politics, and I, have and I have often wondered if the sequel trilogy is meant to act as a commentary on the dangers of religious extremism. The Force has always been closely linked with religion and the Star Wars universe, 
But maybe things are shifting away from a binary light versus dark in good triumphing over evil narrative to something more nuanced that would better relate to our current world issues, especially since many of our great conflicts can be traced to religious extremism on both sides of the aisle. Even, Ma even Adam Driver has made comments about how both the Rebellion and the First Order view their actions as morally justified, which is the type of mindset that you see with terrorists or in religious crusades, where both sides believe they are fulfilling God's will when they subjugate or kill people who have different beliefs. So I was curious to hear if you had any other thoughts or predictions about how these types of religious themes might play out over the next two movies. Do you think that Star Wars could be doing something similar to The Handmaid's Tale or Game of Thrones by setting up a scenario where a powerful religious group becomes the ultimate evil, even though they claim that their actions are based on lofty moral ground, like bringing peace to the galaxy? And do you think that the writers would be daring enough to show that the other side of the religious coin, symbolised by rebellion or possibly even the Jedi, could also turn corrupt and commit their own evil acts if they think they are necessary to win a holy war? Thanks for sharing your thoughts on this theory and keep up the great work. What a fantastic email. Wow. Yeah, I agree with all of this. <laughs> I think it's it, I think it's what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's new to the saga because they kind of did this with the prequels, right? Like mm -hmm. you very much had the Jedi in their ivory tower um, just somehow ignoring the fact that the dark side was all around them. Yeah. Um, and not understanding why because they'd really lost touch with the true values of being a Jedi. Um so I, I think this is what they're doing. And I think she's right that it's all backed up by these ideas um, with, you know, parallels to real life political climate right now. Um, what Adam Driver's talked about, J.J. Um, Abrams comparing Hilo to a terrorist in the commentary. Um, I do think, not necessarily too literally with the brainwashing, but the idea that he has been influenced as a young man with lots of power and potential um, you get these real-life parallels with young men who are indoctrinated into extremist organizations. And that's a big part of why I feel like Kylo is going to be redeemed, because I don't think the overall message would be that those men are too far gone or lost. Yeah. Like, I think the overall message would be one of hope and reconciliation. So yeah, I, I think that is where they're going with the Snoke imagery. Like, I know we were joking about, oh, he sounds like Donald Trump. Um, I don't want to offend anyone, so I hope I really don't, but... That kind of ostentatious wealth is something that I associate with religious hypocrisy. Mm. Um, and the Catholic Church is kind of one example. I know the current Pope is not so much like about that. Yeah. But um, that kind of display of wealth um, in religions that supposedly like value caring for the poor and not being lured into the trappings of wealth, like that's it's an interesting uh, backdrop for a story right like it yeah. has a lot of conflict and soul searching potential so yeah no totally and um yeah like the stuff about the pope it made me think that like in medieval times like there was lots of like controversy about the popes because often it was just a position that was bought off by like the most wealthy families and so they're just appoint a son to be pope and there was no like morality there or no sincere like piety so these people would just like use their wealth like selfish purposes and like gild themselves and like enrich themselves at the expense of the poor even while spouting this religious hypocrisy and like you said Kirsty, i don't think that's what's happening with the current pope or like the modern catholic church but i do think that's something that's happened in history and star wars has drawn upon 
like historical scenarios and historical conflicts before and yeah I think that's a really interesting visual reference point to draw upon because I think it's quite new to Star Wars and yeah it's an interesting combination of something that's like historical um and tied to a particular time period and also something that's very like modern and relevant to like current struggles like political and religious and personal because yeah you do see lots of extremism and young men going off to fight these wars where they're absolutely adamant that they're right and justified in their like ideology and their reasons for doing these things even when outsiders looking upon them would think it was horrifying what they were doing so Mm. yeah I, i really think it's an interesting and important even story to tell because it's got that color of like drawing upon like this rich like background of like religious hypocrisy and like gilding yourself at the expense of others while also being very like current and yeah it's really cool yeah and it highlights an interesting contrast between snoke and kylo um and it's something that leia mentioned in bloodline as well that she didn't think ben would be interested in a royal title yeah Um, and you see in the force awakens like you know, Snoke is sat on this throne and now we have these spoilers about where he's actually physically located in this like ridiculously wealthy looking place. Mm. But if you look at Kylo and like how he lives and the scene where he's with Vader's mask, everything is very barren and black. His uh his own costume is like damaged. He doesn't seem to like take an awful lot of pride in his appearance. It's not like he's swanning around in something like fancy. Oh, um, I don't know that hair, Kirsty. I think oh, he's pride in his Okay, hair. but he's but he's masked. So <laughs> I know. <laughs> T- takes it off for Ray, but no one else. <laughs> um but you know what I mean? Like I know his, exactly his cowl mean. is like yeah. singed and when he's talking to the, the mask, he's he seems to be in his private quarters, but there's there are no comfort trappings around. Like he's you know, yeah. he doesn't seem to he's very value this. I think it's like yeah, monkish. Yeah, it is kind lives. of in that like Knights Templar. Um, you, you see that with the the saber as well, right? Like, yeah, they're kind of going for this medieval knight aesthetic. Exactly. Um, and I, it remains to be seen how on the nose those descriptions will be in terms of the implications for the story, because it's kind of stuff that potentially you could look into, and it builds your own headcanon of the character, but. I don't know, like there are all sorts of political parallels with the prequels for what was going on um, after, you know, like George Bush became president and everything. It's not, you can look into it and it informs your understanding of the story, but you don't necessarily have to buy into that. Yeah. Like to, to enjoy the story on its own terms. So we'll just kind of have to see exactly. where they're going. Yeah. But great question. Yeah. Fantastic question. Thank you so much for sending that in, Jennifer. Um, Right. And now is probably a good time to wind up this show. So... I am Rachel, and you can find me on Tumblr at Star Wars Nonsense and on WordPress at Journal of the Star Wars. Where can people find you, Kirsty? Um, I'm on Tumblr at Basila Bay and Scavengers Horde on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed the show, and tune in next time. Bye!